with us. So we got a lot happening this weekend. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to all that God is going to do. What a phenomenal weekend last weekend. Amen. We baptized three, baptized three, nine filled with the Holy Ghost through VBS. That was awesome. We give God the praise for that. Amen. Good to see you tonight. Pastor Ogden is coming in this time. Amen. Going to be teaching the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Excited to bring the Word of the Lord to you tonight. Amen. On Wednesday, family Christian training. Amen. There's nothing more enriching in the middle of the week than the Word of God. Amen. Amen. That's why I'm glad to be here tonight to share that word with you. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for his word. Amen. Without him, without it, we have not a guide. We have not something that we can really look to for direction. While he does give us direction in the spirit, his word validates that. His word substantiates what we hear. Amen. We are to try the spirits and know that they are from God. And the way we do that is, does it align with his word? Then amen. It can be the will of God. But I'm thankful for his word. I'm glad that we set aside time once a week every Wednesday night to get into his word and really learn a little bit more than maybe what we're already familiar with when it comes to his word. Amen. Before we get into his word, I want to just say a moment, uh, take a moment of prayer that the Lord's hand would be upon this lesson here tonight as we delve into his word. Lord Jesus, God, we invite you, Lord, to be part of this lesson, Lord, that we are teaching here tonight. Lord Jesus, may your word go forth. God, I pray, Lord, that what you desire to be heard would be heard here tonight. God, and I pray that the actions of the saints, God, would take place, Lord, at, at your word. I pray, God, that it would spur action in the people of God. Through your word, we pray here tonight in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I have a few passages of Scripture to read here tonight before we get into our lesson. We are continuing in our series a glorious church, a glorious church. Tonight's lesson is on the church in action, the church in action. Amen. We're not the church if we're not in action. We're just a people getting together. But if we are the church, we need to be acting like it. Amen. All right, let's read from Matthew chapter 28. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Amen. Chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, amen, we know that as a singular term, name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And what's his name? Jesus. That's why we baptize in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 
Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn your attention to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. Luke chapter 24, beginning reading at verse 44. Chapter 24, verse 44. Hallelujah. Verse 44 says this, And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Amen. How many know about that power? Amen. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. One more passage of Scripture, if you'll turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, beginning at verse number 1, some very familiar scriptures to us Pentecostals. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, I'm sorry, uh, wait for the promise of the Father which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In verse 8, very well-known portion of Scripture, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost 
part of the earth. Why is that? Those last few words, for those of you who may be familiar with our verses of study for next season for Bible quizzing, it is the book of Acts, the first 14 chapters. And our theme is for the ministry of Bible quizzing is arise and go. So you may have seen some quizzers around here on work days wearing a quiz shirt, but I'll show that to you for a moment. Here's the theme, arise and go. And on the front, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the last seven words that Jesus spoke before he left the earth. Unto the uttermost part of the earth. When it comes to the church in action, the only way our world is going to be reached is by the church. Jesus chose us to be the vehicles by which our world hears the gospel. And so it is our job to reach our world with the gospel. Jesus commissioned his disciples to take the gospel to everywhere, like the, the point I just made in verse 8, to the uttermost part of the earth, and to everyone. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue, everyone is to hear this gospel. It's not for a select few. It's not just for me and you, but it's for everyone. Amen? It is our job as the church to share the gospel with everyone that we can. In the past couple of weeks, as we've studied about the glorious church, we have found that the church is more than just a building. In fact, it's really not a building at, at all. We call it a church, but the reality is you and I are the church. Amen? And if the church is going to be in action, it's you and me that are going to be the action. Amen? It's not going to be a building. Granted, we come together and the presence of the Lord is here and God does a great work. But God doesn't need this building to have a church. Amen? Amen. At the very beginning, they didn't have a church. They had to meet from house to house. They were the church in their neighborhood. I recently was in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, I had taken an Uber ride from the airport to, the, to my hotel, and as I was on my way, I was talking with my Uber driver, and, and his name was Joab, and he started to explain to me that he was from Liberia, and he was telling me all about Liberia, and for those of you who don't know that Liberia, Liberia was a nation that was created by freed slaves. In fact, their constitution mirrors the U.S. Constitution. In fact, they prefer U.S. money over Liberian money. In fact, they try to be as much like the U.S. as they possibly can. So they're probably the closest to the U.S. of any African nation that is Liberia. So he told me about how one of David's mighty men was Joab, and that's why his father named him Joab. As I was talking to Joab, I said, I just felt it in the Lord, and I said, Joab, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, absolutely, go right ahead. Here we are driving down the street. I start praying for him. I've got my eyes closed. I've got my hands reached forward, and I'm, and I'm praying for Joab. And then all of a sudden, I start hearing the honking of horns. And I look up, and Joab's got his head bowed. He stopped at the light. He's not moving. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's taking in that prayer. I'll take it. I'll take it. 
Um, but when it comes to being the church in action, it doesn't mean when you're here in the physical building. It doesn't mean when you come here assembled with God's people that you then become the church. But you are the church wherever you go, wherever you go. In 40, uh, 490 B.C., the Persians invaded Greece to bring Greece under the control of the Persian Empire. Although there were several Greek city-states, the Athenians were most impacted by the invasion. The book of, I'm sorry, the Battle of Marathon was a key battle that turned the tide of the first Greco-Persian War. The defeat did not critically wound the Persians. However, it significantly increased Athenian morale. Their victory proved that the Greeks could resist the Persians and even defeat them on the battlefield. Marathon was located approximately 25 miles from Athens. Legend states that a messenger named Phi, I'm going to say this wrong, but Phidippidus, Phidippidus, if I could say that right, was commissioned to carry the good news of the victory back to the Athenians. Phidippidus swiftly ran south to Athens, but after he arrived, he collapsed and died immediately once he had shared the good news. While the Athenians lamented his death, they were relieved to know that the enemy was defeated. Phidippidus' good news brought the Athenians relief and comfort. The story is more than just a brief lesson in Greek history. The New Testament was written in Greek rather than in Hebrew, and this was to communicate the gospel with as many people as possible, because not everyone knew the Hebrew language, but much of the world was controlled by the Greeks, and so more people understood the Greek language than understood Hebrew. Alexander the Great's army conquered much of the known world and painted the world Greek between 336 and 323 B.C. The Greek, the Greek language became an important means of communication across the new empire. If you think of it today like the English language, if you do any business internationally, it is important that you understand the English language because that is the international language by which business is transpired. And so if you understand the English language, you can transact business with other nations because it is, in essence, the international language for others to speak. And so in this day, unlike English, of course, wasn't even really a developed language at that point, but Greek was, and Greek was the language that most of the world had some understanding of. When the Romans conquered the Greeks in 146 B.C., they recognized the usefulness of the Greek language and continued speaking and writing it. As a result, the New Testament was strategically written in Greek. Greek words with biblical significance would have been used to describe Phidippidus since his message was good news. The Greek word evangelion was likely used. This word usually translated to gospel in our English translations. It denotes good news and victory. Amen. How, how many know that the good news, amen, has, a, has an end of victory as well? Amen. 
New Testament offers used evangelion to present the message of Jesus overcoming the forces of sin and death. His victory is good news for all of humanity. Amen. How many know that to be true? Amen. The de his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, amen, means victory over sin for everyone in humankind. I'm thankful, amen, that we have the victory. All we got to do is ask for it. Amen. I'm thankful for the victory in Jesus. When Jesus commissioned his disciples to preach the gospel, he called them apostles or apostelos in Greek. The Greeks regularly used apostelos to refer to a messenger or someone sent forth with orders. Just as Phidippus was sent forth as a messenger carrying good news, Christ has sent us into the world as messengers with his good news. We are heralds of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we proclaim this kingdom's victory over the forces of evil, death, and sin. Amen. We have the victory over sin. Amen. By the price that Jesus paid. Amen. On the cross. Jesus before his ascension, reminded his disciples of his purpose. He, he told them that he had to suffer, he had to die, but that he would rise again. As we see in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' ministry turned towards Jerusalem after the 12 disciples discussed, discussed his identity as Messiah. And we talked about that in previous weeks, how Peter understood who he was. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus told him that flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I'm thankful, amen, that I have the revelation of who he is. Amen? amen. Along this journey, Jesus' encounters with various Jewish sects, such as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, became more frequent and rigid. In Luke 9, after Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus predicted, predicted his death to the disciples. Then, while Jesus was speaking to a much larger crowd, he invited believers to take up their cross daily and follow him. The cross has been romanticized by modern Christians as a symbol of the Christian faith and hope. But to Jesus' audience, Taking up your cross reminded them of a parade of condemned individuals bearing their crosses upon which they would soon die in a terrible Roman death. So they didn't think of the cross as a glorious thing, but as a, as a, a, a the type of thing you don't want to bear. But Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Then Luke recorded the miracle of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus glorified as he prayed. Moses and Elijah appeared alongside Jesus and spoke to him about his death that would soon happen. On the mountain, the disciples heard Jesus, God's voice from heaven say, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Jesus' mission was to die in Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God was confirming his mission to the disciples. Unfortunately, his disciples didn't listen. 
As we close Luke 9, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry as Messiah and suffering servant had been confirmed. He was fully aware that he was heading to Jerusalem to be betrayed, tortured, and killed. Rather than his disciples being supportive, they seemed to fall asleep at the most inappropriate time. They argued over which one of them is going to be the greatest. They rebuked others inappropriately. They offered to misuse their authority against the Samaritans. You see, Jesus' 12 disciples completely missed his mission. Although they traveled with him for three years, they didn't get it. This is truly evident that we could be in the church our whole life and yet miss the mission of Jesus Christ. How is it that you are with God himself in flesh for three years and you don't get it? How is it that you're sitting in his teaching? We have a fantastic pastor who preaches phenomenally, but he's nowhere close to Jesus when it comes to preaching, and yet they were hearing Jesus preaching every day, and yet they still didn't get it. The reality is it's important that we understand his mission. If we understand who he is, we can understand the work of Christ. You cannot separate the work of Christ from whom Jesus is. He, Jesus, was the gospel that is to be preached. To truly understand how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are good news, we must understand the bad news that confronts us all. Certainly, Jesus is our Savior, but inherently it means we must be saved from something. When a firefighter rescues someone trapped in a burning building, the firefighter saves the person from being burned alive. In like manner, Jesus has saved us from the guilt of sin. Sin is contrary to God's law, and since God is just, his standard is perfect. The Greek word for sin, hamaratia, implies an archer missing the mark. If an archer misses the target completely or just by a few inches, the archer missed the mark. We have all missed the mark. Therefore, each of us bears the guilt of sin. But thanks be to God, the guilt of sin is removed because God forgives us of all of our trespasses. Amen. We got to see that live and in person on Sunday morning when three went down in the name of Jesus, all of their sins washed away. Amen. Jesus frees us from the guilt of sin because he bore the wrath of God for us. You see, we're guilty for the sin that we've committed, and we should receive the punishment for it. But Jesus bore that for us. Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus bore our sin? Amen. Amen. Brother Shaw, if you've got a video for us, are you good? All right. Thank you. Philippians 3 and 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
In my mind, this paints the picture of a target having a goal in mind and a projected end. It's the goal of every archer and marksman to hit the target. But many times there are obstacles and distractions that cause one to miss the mark that they are aiming for. In life, when filled with the Holy Ghost, we have the power and the ability to hit that target, to reach the mark that God has called us to. But often sin in our life will cause us to miss the mark that we are pressing toward. You see, sin is a plague that we all must face. Romans 3 and 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm so thankful that the scripture doesn't stop there. After being told that we all have sinned, verse 24 brings hope when it says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Having sin in our life, that is missing the mark of what God has called us to be. But, when we, but we don't have to live our life in sin. 1 John 1 and 9 makes a promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through Christ Jesus and his blood shed on Calvary, we find forgiveness. In his name, our sins can be washed away. And through his spirit, we have the power to overcome sin. We can live every day understanding that his mercies are new every morning. Starting each day with a new hope and a new opportunity to press again toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus. Amen. I want his will in my life. I want to fulfill his purpose for my life. Amen. Jesus' purpose was not just to deliver us from the guilt of sin and the wrath of God. Jesus also broke the power of sin through his resurrection. The gospel promises that the power of sin is continually being broken through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful I've got the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul made key arguments about how the power of sin is broken. Paul saw believers as being raised to new life with Christ. Since he spoke in the present tense, he was speaking of how believers are raised into new life through the Holy Ghost. Amen. I don't know about you, but ever since I got the Holy Ghost, it's been a whole new life. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Although Christ was raised, has raised us to new life, lingering effects of sin still remain within us and may even remain with us for life. We are called to play an active role in putting those sinful behaviors to death. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, in doing so, we daily become more like Jesus. Amen? Put on His nature, and when we do, we are renewed as we learn to know Him and become just like Him. Amen? That should be our aim. I want to be like Jesus. Amen? I know that's it's a popular acronym, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But it is true when we go to make important decisions in our life, we, it's, it's a fair question to ask, what would Jesus do? Amen. The gospel also empowers us to aid others to overcome the guilt and power of sin in their lives. Amen. If you've overcome the power of 
the guilt of sin and shame in your life and the wrath of God in your life, wouldn't you want to share that with somebody else? Wouldn't you want them to have that same power in their life? Amen. Jesus brought good news to the poor. He proclaimed the release of the captains. He gave sight to the blind. He brought oppression to an end and announced that the time of the Lord had come. That's in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. These miracles are available physically and spiritually. Jesus liberated people held in physical and spiritual bondage and in blindness. We continue Jesus' mission by allowing him to do the same things through us to others. Amen? When he can work through us, we can see the same things happen in our society. My wife showed me a video today. I don't posted on social media, and, and a man who was blind for the last eight years of his life was baptized, and when he came up out of the water, he was worshiping God, and when he opened his eyes for the very first time in eight years, he could see again, and he started. He was like, wow, like he couldn't believe what had just happened, but the reality is God is still opening blind eyes, amen, even in this day. And spiritually blind eyes as well. Amen? Amen. It is the purpose of God to preach the gospel to every creature. Sin fractured the entire creation, not just humanity to its core. Therefore, the gospel does, does not just affect humanity, but it also works to mend all of creation. Paul explored this theme in Romans 8, verses verse 18 through 23. He discussed how creation was subject, subjected to sin and its negative effects, such as death, dysfunction, and disconnection through the fall. Yet creation eagerly waits in hope for the day of redemption. Much like believers are eagerly waiting, Paul used pregnancy as a metaphor, explaining all creation groans in childbirth for the day of its deliverance. Amen? When we look at this life... Sometimes it's easy to just focus on the things that are going on around us and, and miss really what's coming ahead. You know, what's, what's the future, what awaits in the future? And when we can look at that, sometimes it makes us want to just, man, I can't wait till that day. <laughs> man, I'm looking forward to the day of going to heaven, getting out of this flesh and getting out of this world and being with my creator. Amen? Amen. Our physical bodies on earth and all of creation will be redeemed and restored to God, to the God of glory. All the lingering power of sin as well as the damages caused by sin will be removed from creation. When we share the gospel, we're not only teaching people about Jesus, but we are also proclaiming his glorious good news to the entire creation. Each account of the Great Commission features Jesus' commission to preach the gospel to all nations. Jesus made it clear how it would happen, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, unto the uttermost part of the earth. After receiving the Holy Spirit, believers would spread the gospel in Jerusalem, in Acts chapters 1 through 7. The gospel would spread to the regions of Judea and Samaria, in Acts 
at chapters 8 through 12, and later believers would preach the gospel to the Gentile nations, eventually ending the empire's capital of Rome in Acts chapters 13 through 28. When the Bible speaks of nations, it's actually referring to nationalities. So when we speak of nations, we're not necessarily talking of countries, but of nationalities. And so this gospel is for every nationality, right? It's not just for every country, but it's for every nationality. Peter and John were sent to Samaria after the apostles heard the Samaritans had received the gospel message. Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans' experience. The apostles had likely only shared the gospel with with fellow Jews. Since heaven is made up of people from every tribe, nation, and language, we must not dis- discriminate. It is not an a- it, it, it took an angel, a vision, and an escort to Peter to preach to Cornelius, a Gentile, in Cornelius' home. You see, to him, he was thinking, you know, this is this gospel's for the Jews. But no, it's for everyone. Everyone. And it took just that, an angel and a vision, for him to go and reach Cornelius and his home. But may it never take this much for us to share the gospel with someone else, especially from people from a different nation or people from a different nationality or different culture, and maybe not even from our faith. They all need to hear the gospel. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what language they speak. They need to hear it. Amen? Jesus also commissioned us to baptize in his name. Without insight into historical background, it, may, it can be difficult to see why John the Baptist caused such a ruckus. You see, his message of repentance was an affront to the religious leaders. Baptism predated the New Testament and involved a ritual washing that Gentiles received alongside circumcision. That is, if they wanted to fully convert to Judaism. This ritual was performed to wash away the filth of the Gentile world so the new Jewish converts would be clean. But John preached the baptism of repentance to all the Jews in Israel. This teaching emphasized that the birth that their birth as Jews was not enough. You see, the Jews had believed, I'm a Jew, therefore I'm, I'm God's chosen people. I don't need to repent. You know, we, you know, we sacrifice to roll our sins ahead, but that's, that's all we got to do. All people, including Jews, need to repent of their sins. So being baptized by John was a public sign of their confession and their dedication to amend their sinful behavior. The Pharisees and Sadducees attended one of John's baptismal services, but only to watch. You see, John promptly confronted them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees banked on their genealogy for their righteousness. But it doesn't matter what your dad or your your grandfather or your great-grandfather did. Amen. Your relationship with God is dependent on you. Amen. Bible tells us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. It's us. It's up to us. It's not, it's not something else somebody did before we came along that earns us a spot in heaven. But the Pharisees thought that they had it that way because their fathers, their forefathers had lived it. God has no grandchildren. We must all be born again into the kingdom of God. Amen. 
Likewise, Christians join in, uh, join a new community also. In baptism, we are initiated into God's new covenant. Since all of the apostles were Jews, they were familiar with the Jewish proselyte baptism, John's baptism, and what each represented. When Jesus instructed his apostles to be baptized, they understood baptism in its context, that it was a form of conversion. When Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit, Peter equated their experience with his own. Because of this, Peter baptized Cornelius and his household in Jesus' name, in the covenantal community, and they were recognized as full members of the body of Christ. You see, they weren't second-class citizens in the church because they weren't Jews. No, they were full members of the church of Christ, just like the Jews. Through baptism in Jesus' name, we obtain access to new to a new and better covenant in Jesus Christ. Just before Jesus ascended, the disciples asked him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The apostles still did not quite understand what Jesus was doing. Likewise, we also may be led astray by social and political matters. How many, how many can confess, well, I'm not saying by the raise of hands, but that we can get caught up in the whole political uh, talk that's going on. There's always some political viewpoint that tends to get people riled up, and it seems more and more that the news media tries to get us all stirred up about something. And so it's easy to get caught up in that. And his disciples were thinking, oh, that's what he's going to do. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be the king over Israel. But no. They misunderstood his purpose and his plan. The goal of Jesus' commission is not to advance the kingdom of this world, but to advance Christ's kingdom. Amen? This happens when we extend the value, service, and hope of the Christian community to everybody. It's for everybody. Every believer is a minister called to share the kingdom with others. Amen? That's not just for who's standing behind the pulpit. That's not just for who's on the platform. Amen. That's not just the one that's teaching in the Sunday school room. That's for every one of us. Amen. For some, the ministry will become a professional vocation. Missions, for example, was not just something Paul did. It was part of his identity. Some may not embrace ministry as a professional vocation. In fact, most will not. However, it remains a large part of our lives. Aquila and Priscilla helped establish and maintain churches in Corinth and Ephesus, and they helped lead Apollos to the Christian faith. Many theologians suggest Apollos is the author of, of the epistle to the Hebrews. Without Aquila and Priscilla's ministry, Apollos may ne never have been saved. While Jesus has a specific calling for each of us, our general calling is to share the gospel with others. You don't have to have a calling to share the gospel with somebody else. Amen? That's the general calling for everybody. Now, God has a specific calling for you beyond that, but that's the calling for everybody. That's not relegated to those that are on the outreach team. It's not relegated to those that are going to be out here passing out backpacks. It's for everybody. Amen? 
God has commissioned and equipped us to go into the world just like he sent his apostles. When we follow God's general calling, he leads us into our individual calling, uniquely specialized for our skills, personalities, and life experiences. You see, sometimes your calling may not be perfectly clear, but if you surrender to God's will and you make yourself available as a servant of God, God will reveal his calling for you. He will show you what he's given you a passion for, and he will use your talents and skills and experiences to further the kingdom of God. But we must be surrendered to his will. We must be willing to share the gospel with others so that we can truly discover our, our calling as well. The original audience of the epistle of the Hebrews is unknown. Some suggest the epistle was written to Jewish Christians living in Rome, while others suggest it was written to the church in Jerusalem. However, based on references within the letter, the audience was Jewish in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. They were immature in their faith in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, experiencing persecution in Hebrews chapter 10, and wavering in their commitment to their faith later in chapter 10. The writer wrote to help them grow in their faith despite their intense persecution. The writers of Hebrews invited his audience to consider the individuals who had previously suffered for following the will of God. Although Hebrews 11 is often considered highlighting the heroes of faith, a more fitting description would be highlighting persons who suffered immensely for their faith. You see, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 encourages believers to lay aside our setbacks, particularly the sins that ensnare us. Seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. These witnesses are those who have lived the life of faith before us. Amen. We could name people that have gone on here even this year who have lived this faith before us. Their faithfulness bears witness to our faithfulness to God. By their example and encouragement, we patiently run our race set before us. The race is not only won by endurance and faithfulness, but it is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. The New Living Translation calls Jesus the champion of our faith, meaning he successfully ran and completed the race without any errors. Jesus endured all the hostility, the shame, and the pain of the cross by focusing on the tremendous power of the gospel to save us. When we err, we are encouraged to focus on the faithful testimony of believers, on a and on what gave Jesus strength. Hebrews advocates that we must be other-focused rather than self-focused. It is not about our strength or ability, but how we are empowered by the community of faith. That is the church. That is you and me. When Jesus comes and we meet the saints who have gone on before us, instead of us asking their stories, they may ask us our stories. Consider the joy and the excitement shining on their faces 
as we testify of the great work God has done through his spirit. We are and will continue to be witnesses of what Jesus has done and he continues to do. We will tell our stories one day. Amen. I'm thankful that we are the church in action. I'm thankful that as believers, our commission is to share the gospel with others. Amen. Our neighbors need to know this gospel. Our coworkers need to know this gospel. Our classmates, our family, our extended family, those that are not in church, those that we have acquaintances with, those are the people that need to hear this gospel. And as has been talked about in the previous lessons, we are the church. It's not this building, and it's up to us. If the gospel is going to be shared, the church needs to go to our world, to those around us. Granted, we want them to come to church. We want them to experience the power of God and, and the worship of the saints collectively, but the reality is they may never set foot in this church, especially if we aren't the church to them out there. So it's important for us to share the gospel. And sometimes sharing the gospel isn't by what you say, but it's by what you do. It's how you act in front of them because they are the, you are the church that they're going to see. And if they see a church that sounds like a place they'd like to go to, amen, then they may set foot in here. Amen. They may get to hear the word of God preached. They may feel the presence of the Lord. They may be filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. But it's up to us to be the church to them and share the gospel with them. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to pray in dismissal. Amen. I want to be the church in action. I want my world to hear this great truth that we have. Amen. And the great life that the Lord has given us through his word, through his spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the great work that you're doing in us and through us. God, I pray, Lord, that we would share this gospel with those around us. Help us to be salt and light to those, Lord Jesus, that we are in contact with. For those that you put us in front of, Lord, we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom in speaking and sharing your word to those around us. May we be a witness. May we be the church, Lord Jesus, to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.